0: Hi, this is Dr. Christopher Perrin, and welcome to this episode of The Christopher Perrin Show. In this particular episode, I'd like to to talk about Augustine, the great theologian from the 5th century, lived in the late 300s and early 400s, and Abraham Kuyper, who lived in the 19th century and early 20th century. You probably know that Augustine was the great North African theologian and bishop, the Bishop of Hippo. He wrote some great books like The Confessions and The City of God. And Abraham Kuyper was a theologian, pastor, and author, uh, started the Free University of Amsterdam, and in his later career became the Prime Minister of the Netherlands from 1901 to 1905. In this episode, I'm going to read to you because I've carefully crafted what I want to say about Augustine and Kuiper as they relate to culture building. So I hope this will be of some help to you. Um, I enjoy both of these thinkers and think they both have something important to say. But as you'll see, I think that this moment that we're in is primarily an Augustinian moment rather than a Kuyperian moment. So, a few weeks ago, I spoke at an educator's retreat in Richmond, Virginia, on the ongoing importance of Augustine for the renewal of classical education. The retreat was hosted on the campus of the Veritas School, and it was run by the Alkin Fellowship, which I am a part of, and it was sponsored by the Society for Classical Learning. Over the years, nothing has helped me to learn about classical education more than these retreats, these Alkin retreats and the conversations that have grown out of them. In fact, the book, The Liberal Arts Tradition, emerged from these retreats as the authors, Ravi Jain and Kevin Clark, presented papers and seminars and sought constructive feedback from retreat to retreat. They would present, uh, you know, a paper and ask for constructive criticism, go back, do some more thinking and writing, and then come back again year by year. At this most recent retreat, Dr. James Davidson Hunter, of the University of Virginia, gave one of the presentations and then he joined us for some two hours of discussion. Hunter said something that I noted before he presented and then afterwards during our discussions. He said this, that many think that this is a kyperian moment, but instead really, it's an Augustinian moment. This caught my attention because my presentation, which he had not yet heard, made the same claim. There's a lot of good to say about Abraham Kuyper, who helped found a university, the Free University of Amsterdam, established many schools, and who was a thoughtful cultural and theological writer, and who was the Prime Minister of the Netherlands from 1901 to 1905, as I said. Anyone who has read his lectures on Calvinism knows that he is a supple writer who uses a fine pen rather than a jumbo crayon. His last lecture, for example, on the future of Calvinism in that book, The Lectures of Calvinism, it's not triumphalist in the least. He notes various trends that argue for both the continued vibrancy and diminishment of Calvinism in the West. So while I note one way that I think Kuiper is reductionist, which you'll hear of in a few moments, in various ways, however, he is not a reductionist writer or thinker. He has skills as a writer and a thinker. Kuiper and his followers, hence Kuiperianism, are known for their hopes to create and construct Christian institutions that are fruitful and that honor Jesus Christ. There's no objection from me. Kuiper also thought that Christians should be active in the public square, seeking to influence and bless through public institutions. Again from me, no objection. Why then is this not a Kuyperian moment? In my view, it's because of the way he articulated the Christian secular antithesis. He did not think that it was wise or helpful for Christians to work with secularists or non Christians in the establishment and development of institutions. The distinction here can be subtle. Of course, Christians should love their neighbor. Christians should love their neighbors and work with them in all kinds of ways, from engaging in commerce, community activity, and even political activity. Kuiper thought it best for Christians to build their own institutions, however, without interference from those outside the Christian faith. Now, we should notice that the scriptures do speak clearly about the differences between Christians and non-Christians. There are those passages about sheep and the goats, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, and the natural man who cannot understand the things of God. And the scriptures also make it clear that Christ is the only God and the only Lord and that he is supreme over all. Thus, every thought should be taken captive to Christ. Kuiper's most famous statement is likely this one given in the inaugural university address at the University of Amsterdam. Quote, Oh, no single piece of our mental world is to be hermetically sealed off from the rest, and there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. So Christians should hold to some form of antithesis. Augustine did too as one might suspect from the title of his large book on Christian political philosophy, history, and eschatology, called The City of God Against the Pagans, in the Latin, *Civitas dei contra Paganos*. Again, the scriptures do teach a spiritual antithesis. To cite just a few more examples, in the Old Testament we read, "...and I shall put enmity between your seed and the seed of the serpent." Genesis, come out and be separate and do not touch the unclean thing from Leviticus. Choose this day whom you will serve, Joshua. And in the New Testament we read, those who are not for us are against us, and that he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his Son, whom he loves. Does this differentiation between Christians and non-Christians, between what Augustine would call the city of God and the city of man, preclude various forms of collaborative work, service, and culture building between Christians and others? Augustine says no, for the two cities will always be intermingled in varying degrees. Thus, while there is a spiritual division, there is room for some limited and meaningful earthly Synthesis, So there can be antithesis and synthesis. He does limit the ways Christians collaborate in various institutions because he thinks that Christians will always be faithful to their Lord and his teaching and will not be able to compromise, resulting in many Christians, for example, in the Roman army and and government service going to their deaths at various times during times of Roman persecution for refusing, say, to burn incense to Caesar as a god. So Christians can only go so far as they collaborate. There are lines which Christians cannot cross, but there can be various forms of collaboration. Do we note in Scripture uh, Christians or Israelites making common earthly cause with others? The answer is yes, we do on occasion. For example, Abraham made alliances with other kings for a common defense in Genesis 14, and Solomon even engaged the king of Tyre to help him build the temple, and it was a craftsman from Tyre named Huram who was the leading craftsman on the massive project of building a temple to Yahweh 1 kings 7. The New Testament assumes a practical earthly engagement from Jesus' comment to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, Mark 12, and to Paul's injunctions as well that Christians remain in whatever positions they find themselves, 1 Corinthians 7, to his teaching on submitting to the authority of the magistrate in Romans 13. The history of Christianity as well illustrates both a spiritual antithesis and a limited earthly synthesis. Reminding that it takes wisdom to know when each doctrine applies. This relationship of antithesis and synthesis is much like uh, the reality that we encounter in other places that is complex and intermingled, whether it be the nature of light, that is apparently both waves and particles at the same time, though who knows how, or the mind body distinction, because apparently we are both spirit and flesh, we're both material and immaterial at the same time, though who knows how. Or the dual natures of Christ, apparently he is both human and divine, though who knows how. Tertullian in North Africa in 280 or so thought that Athens had little to do with Jerusalem and he exhorted Christians to separate from pagan culture. This is a kind of antithetical move. He's the one who asked the question, what does Jerusalem have to do with Athens? And he thought, well, not too much. Now, Tertullian was writing at a time when pagan temple worship was still a real temptation for Christians. Augustine, another North African theologian, writing in 400 AD, thought that Plato was a near Christian, worth reading. And he even thinks that Plato would have been a Christian if he had been born after Christ. So he's, he's pointing out that there's a kind of limited synthesis that's possible. Certainly a synthesis with Christianity and Platonism. So why we have someone like Tertullian saying we should leave Plato behind, he's outside of the church, he doesn't really have that much to teach us. In fact, he can be dangerous to us. By the way, Plato might have agreed with at least Homer being dangerous, but but, uh, Tertullian didn't think that the Greeks, in other words Athens, had much to offer and that they should just be left behind. Augustine did not agree with that 200 years later. He liked Plato and his own readings of Plato and even his own readings of Cicero were instrumental in leading him to faith in Christ. Augustine seemed to understand in 400 AD that Christians would have to prudently determine when to be antithetical and when to be synthetical. We might ask, who knows how to do that? The answer is prudence or wisdom, discerning the times, much as we must discern our audience when we're delivering a speech. What is needed? What are the concerns? What are the dangers? Where are there overlapping ideas such that we could say to someone, you're not far from the kingdom of God, and much that you say is in agreement with what we ourselves teach? In my opinion, what we find in Augustine is more subtle than what we find in Abraham Kuyper for all of his strengths. And in one important respect, truer to the actual state of affairs, Augustine advocates for the creation and construction of cultural institutions for active engagement and service, but he also acknowledges that the city of God, meaning Christian people generally, and the city of man will always be intermingled, mixed, and interwoven. In other words, while Christians follow Christ in his banner, they will find themselves on committees and in neighborhoods, guilds, parades, businesses, governments, and yes, even in schools with those who are outside the church. Kuiper wanted a system that provided for tax-supported Christian schools and tax-supported non-Christian schools of various kinds, a kind of two-track body politic that unfortunately was appealed to many uh, in South African apartheid, but many also think it was a distortion of Kuiper's teaching in South Africa. In this moment of rising secularism in the United States, many are drawn to Kuiper. I am too, in several respects, insofar as he is. Augustinian, I agree with Augustine and Kuyper that Christians should be building institutions. Following Augustine, this means creating schools, some that are Christians, Christian schools exclusively, but also some that are for Christians and non-Christians together. This means strengthening existing institutions by serving in the military, government, business, and commerce. It means praying for the peace of the city, even as we seek its good and its transformation. It means being willing to learn from modern-day Plato's. Who might they be? It means from learning from modern-day Plato's or non-Christian writers and thinkers who are saying much that is true that harmonizes with Christian teaching. It also means rejecting false teaching from those who contradict that, which we know to be true, good, and beautiful, and contrary to the revelation of Jesus Christ in the gospel. It means wisdom without being wishy-washy and prudence without being prude. So I think we must note the subtle but important difference between Augustine and Kuiper. In regards to culture creation and development, Augustine proposes both and. Kuiper rather proposes either or. Augustine remembered the parable of the sheep and the goats, but also the parable of the wheat and the tares that grow up together. He remembered the parable of the leaven working through the dough, but also the parable of the wheat and the tares that grow up looking much the same and yet being different, but growing in the same field, intermingled, mixed, interwoven. Kuiper seems to want separate farms for the wheat and the tares. Here grows the wheat, there grows the tares, and no trespassing allowed. Historically, I think Augustine was proven right or at least wise. The Christian church did work like leaven through the dough and established what we have come to call medieval Christendom, which we know, even then, was not yet paradise, and Augustine told us that that would be the case ahead of time. Historically, we should be gentle on Kuyper, given the history of the Netherlands, given that it's only progressed for about 100 years since Kuyper's time. Still, It hasn't gone well for Holland. The land of Kuiper is no longer Kuiperian, if it ever was. But we must be gentle even about this, because what would we say right now about North Africa? Is it Augustinian? Augustine has stood the test of time, which is why we can safely say that his book, The Confessions, is a classic every Christian should read, as well as his book, The City of God. Kuiper is worth reading, too, and at this present moment, but let us give greater weight to the great doctor of the church, Augustine, Bishop of Hippo. His essential political philosophy and eschatology, which we might call realized and hopeful millennialism, were settled beliefs across the Christian faith until about the 1700s. If there is a classical Christian political philosophy, it's rooted in Augustine's City of God. Finally, for those of you who know Augustine and Kuiper well, well, I beg your patience and mercy as this brief presentation leaves much unsaid and has resorted, for brevity's sake, to much generalizing. In the future, I hope to say more about these two thinkers and give more examples as God gives me time and strength. Thanks for listening or watching.